Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. We have become accustomed to living in constant fear, paralyzed by the ever-growing list of things that make us afraid. This is no way to live. Thankfully, this state of fearful worry can be escaped. God's Word is full of commands to release fear. We can't elude the things that have the potential to create fear, but they do not have to lead to our ruin. Through faith, we can face all things, knowing God's promises are true and His power is sufficient. In Christ, we can live fearless. Hi. How are you? You good? I mean, really, how are you? Yeah? I mean, we've, ha- we've had a week, right? We've had a week. We've, we've had political things, and we've had medical things, and then you've had your personal things, and we've had losing sleep things, and <sighs> it's been a week, right? But you're here, and I'm here. That, that is a good, good thing. We are here in part 10 of our series, Courageous. Y'all, I never thought that we would ever be 10 weeks in in the same series. But I have loved the series. How about y'all? Y'all enjoying this? Yeah. I have very much enjoyed this series. I have learned so much. And I, I think the more that I've learned through this series, the more that God is teaching me how much more I have to learn and how much more from his word I have to receive. And the whole idea behind this series is that we, we need to learn to be people who will be faithfully obedient in the midst of fearful circumstances. We are not promised to live a fear-free life. We are going to encounter things in our life and in our world that could make us fearful, but what God is asking for us is to be faithfully obedient despite those circumstances, in the midst of those circumstances. And so each part of this series is teaching us a little bit more about how to be faithful in fearful circumstances. I want to share a story with you that happened to me yesterday that, that just gave me hope that even in the middle of fearful times and things going on in our world, that there is still so much good and there is still so much hope. Yesterday, Yesterday morning, normally when I, when I preach and when Matt preaches, we have a team who comes around us to pray for us, our security team. They do that for, for your pastors, and they, uh, they prayed for me. And then normally when I preach, I have a group of women who faithfully come around me before every gathering to pray over me. Well, yesterday morning before the 9 a.m. gathering, um, I didn't see any of those ladies. But then Chris Foster, uh, he's on staff here. He came up to me and he said, hey, Jasmine, I've got, um, I've got some ladies back here who are ready to pray for you. And so I thought, oh, this is like normal. Let's go pray. So I walk into the back room expecting to see the adult women who normally surround me in prayer. And when I walked through those doors, I saw three young ladies, two sixth graders and one seventh grader there ready to pray for me. And I burst into tears that these 
these women of faith thought that it, it was important enough to, to surround me in prayer, that, that that's what they did. That, that right now, and right now, as they, they're not in here right now. You know where these three ladies are right now? They are leading your kids in worship. We have young believers in our church who are not waiting for the future, not waiting for adulthood before they step into their calling. They have stepped into their calling and into their ministry right now, and that is something to be hopeful for and thankful for and joyful for, and that is just extra. That doesn't even have anything to do with what we're going to talk about tonight, but I just thought that you need to know that. You need to know that we have amazing, amazing young people here in our church. So, woo, let's keep going. So here we are. <laughs> here we are, week 10 of Courageous. We, have, we started this series talking about Joshua. Joshua is the person who led the nation of Israel into the promised land. Moses led Israel from Egypt to almost the promised land. And then Joshua was the one who got to take them in. And before they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, God spoke to Joshua and he told him a few things. He said, one, you are going to need to know and follow my commands. You are going to need to meditate on them day and night. You also need to know that I'm going to be with you the whole time. I am not going to forsake you and I will never fail you. And then he goes into verse 9, which you have seen many, many times, 10 times at least throughout this series. And so right now we're, we're going to say this verse out loud together to see the final thing that Joshua was commanded. Here you go. You ready? Here we go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that we have seen this verse every single week since the beginning of January. And I hope that it is being written on your heart as you are seeing it on the screen. And that, that's something that you are carrying around with you from Sunday to Sunday, from Monday to Monday. Because that is those promises of God, those are the things that we need, anchoring our faith, growing our courage. Well, Joshua, when he was 110 years old, P.S., this is how old I'm going to be when I die, 110 years old. He, he says, I know I'm an old man, and I know that I'm going to die soon. So he gathers the leaders of Israel around him because before he dies, he wants to impart some wisdom. He wants to give them some final reminders and to really make sure their, their hearts are where they need to be. He says things like, exactly like what God had commanded him, you need to know God's law and his commands. You need to love God you need to choose God. And here's what he says in verse 11 of Joshua 23. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. 
But they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. That's a a pretty strong, pretty strong reminder there. That if they choose other gods, God is not going to continue to drive nations out from in front of them like they had been experiencing. So he says, all right, y'all, it's time. It's time to choose. You either serve the Lord your God, you love him, you obey his commands, or you obey their gods. You follow their gods. You go their way. But you need to choose right now which way are you gonna go. And they said, we choose the Lord. And he said, Okay, but really, if, if, really, if you're going to choose the Lord, you really need to choose the Lord. Like, you can't be going back and forth because if you start going this way and not toward the Lord your God, he is not going to continue to make a way for, for you, for this nation. And even still, they said, no, we choose the Lord. We choose the Lord our God. This is where the narrator comes in and says, but they in fact did not. (laughs) They did not. Over the next 800 years, the children of Israel, you can read throughout the whole Old Testament, the story of the Israelites loving and following the Lord their God and then starting to follow other gods, falling into sin. And then they would confess and they would repent and then they would turn back to God and then they would turn away and then they would confess and then they would repent and they would turn back to God. And throughout this 800 year period, God sent prophets and kings and judges to make sure that they would, they could get back on the path toward God, that they could turn their hearts back to him. Well, after 800 years of this same narrative, the thing that Joshua warned them, he said, know with certainty, know with certainty that God will not continue to drive out nations from before you. And that is exactly what happened. 800 years after they crossed the Jordan River, Israel was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. They destroyed Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. They tore down the walls surrounding the city. And then any of the Israelites who remained were taken into captivity and exiled into Babylon. Nobody lived in Israel anymore who had survived. They were all exiled. After about 50 years in exile, a king came along that said, no, 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 no. Okay, we need to send these Israelites back home. So slowly they started going back to the nation of Israel. They started trying to rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuilt a temple. They tried to rebuild the walls, but every time they tried, the the gates would get burned down or the wall would get torn down. And then finally a king said, enough. You guys cannot rebuild this because the more you try to rebuild this wall, the weaker my kingdom is and y'all can't stop. You cannot rebuild these walls anymore. This king, his name was King Artaxerxes. And in the kingdom of King Artaxerxes was a man named Nehemiah. And we are going to talk about Nehemiah tonight and how God grew courage within this man. So let's look at your Bibles. 
If you've got them with you, and if not, it'll be on the screen tonight. At Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, Nehemiah was born in exile. He had never been to Jerusalem. He didn't know anybody who was in Jerusalem. He was completely far removed from Jerusalem. Let's get started. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. During the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Okay, so a couple things to pay attention to here in this first verse. A lot of times we skip over first verses because it's just a lot of names in a lot of places, but they do mean something. They're there for a reason. So here's some things you need to know. When it says the 20th year, that doesn't mean like year 20th. It means that it was the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. And just a few years prior to that, he is the one who said, please, you cannot build the walls. Not please, it was a decree. You cannot build the walls anymore. Susa, which was in Babylon, is located in current day Iran. Okay, so that just kind of gives you a place in your mind. If you know anything about geography, this is where this is taking place. Verse 3. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. This would mean that they were very vulnerable, that they would be a place without esteem because they couldn't have anything valuable inside because it would be stolen very easily. They had nothing to offer any neighboring kingdoms or any neighboring cities to you know, to ask for protection, they were in a very vulnerable and disgraced position. Verse four, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the Lord, the God of the heavens. I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. This reminds me of what we learned about Jonah last week, that sometimes the first step in building courage is accepting responsibility for your actions. Here we see Nehemiah again. He is accepting responsibility. He is saying, I know, God, I know that we have sinned. I understand why we are in exile, but please hear our prayer. Please remember that what you commanded your servant Moses if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. By this, we know that Nehemiah, even though he was born in Babylon, he knew, and we can assume that he knew the law of Moses as well. He, he, he didn't just know it casually, but he at home had been taught the law of Moses, had been taught the, the stories that had been passed down from generations. And even Moses, he quoted Moses there. And in that same book, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses also commands that 
the people that have experienced what God has done for them, that they pass it on to their children and their grandchildren, their grandchildren's children down through the generations. And here we have Nehemiah a thousand years later, 30 generations, and still that family is faithfully telling the promises of God to their children. That's the only way that he would have known that. He was in Babylon. He didn't grow up going to the temple. So here's something for someone in here. Do not underestimate the influence that you have with your children. Don't underestimate what it means to talk about the Lord in your home, to pray with them, to share about God with them, to teach them about Jesus. It means and it matters so, so much. Let's keep going to verse 10. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and your strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. Now look at that phrase, give your servant success today. He is asking to be part of the solution. He didn't pray, oh, Lord, help those poor people in Jerusalem to fix their walls. Amen. He didn't put it off on someone else. He assumed that since it burdened him, it was his responsibility to do something about it. He wanted to be part of the solution. And then he asked that God would grant him compassion in the presence of this man. Now, this man that he's talking about is the king, King Artaxerxes. Continuing with 11, at the time, I was the king's cup bearer. Now, here we learn that Nehemiah is in service to the man who was responsible for Jerusalem being and remaining in this place of vulnerability and disgrace. He is the cup bearer. What that means is that he is the person who would bring the cup of wine to the king whenever the king wanted a drink. Now, not only did he bring the cup to him, but he would take a drink out of it to make sure that it was not poisoned because people want to be trying to poison the king so that he would die and somebody else could get on the throne. So Nehemiah was the person who would drink that cup to make sure that it wasn't going to poison the king. Now, because he was the one who was handing the king, his drink, he was always in very close proximity. And oftentimes that cupbearer would become a confidant, would become a counselor to the king. It was somebody who had the king's ear all the time. And here Nehemiah has heard about a situation in Jerusalem. He is very bothered by it. And he can talk to the king any time he wants. He also could have poisoned the king any time he wanted. He had that power because if he handed the king the cup, the king's going to assume this cup is fine. It's not poisonous because you're not dead. But that's not what he did. Something else. Well, let's keep going. Verse one, this is chapter two. During the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I don't know much about the Jewish calendar um, until I Googled it recently. And 
the year Kislev, or the month Kislev, and the month of Nisan, they are four months apart. So he first heard about Jerusalem, and then four months later, the story picks back up. For four months, he prayed, and he mourned, and he fasted, and he waited. It wasn't just like he heard about something, and then he prayed about it for a second, and then the next part of the story happened. This is four months in the making that he prayed to God for some kind of solution. So I want you to think about what what do you do? When you hear about something that that bothers you, when you have kind of a burden impressed upon your heart, when you're overwhelmed by disturbing news, what's your first reaction? Is it to pray? Is it to go to God? Is it it mournful? Is Is it enough to make you fast? Is it enough to make you give something up? See, what I think we do, I think instead of praying, I think we worry. I think we go, sometimes we go to God in prayer, but what we end up doing is worrying. You might even be on your knees, and you might just be saying, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How is this going to ever be fixed, Lord? What are we going to do? And then what if that ha- Oh, what if nothing happens? And you start going down, you know, that, that rabbit trail of worry. And we're exhausted after it, so we must have prayed, right? Because it took a lot of energy out of us. But really, all we did was worry our prayers, and I just can't believe that a worried prayer is very effective. Another thing that we might do is we ask for advice. We go to this person, we say, well, what would you do? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that sounds, okay. Well, what would you do? I mean, this is a situation, that's what they said, but what would you do? And what, what what would you do? If you were me, if you were me, what, what would you do? And we, we call it seeking wise counsel. And yes, it is good to seek wise counsel. But you should never seek wise counsel before you seek counsel from the wonderful counselor. He should be the one that you go to first. And then if you have somebody that you just, you need to reach out, you need to talk to that person, that's fine. But that person should not be your first destination when a burden is upon you. Or we distract ourselves. We carry around a computer in our pocket that is filled with distractions. It is filled with games. It is filled with pictures of cute little babies and videos of kittens. And uh, I mean, we've got Netflix. You've got a TV in your pocket. And you start to feel a little bit burdened, a little bit overwhelmed. And I'm pulling out my phone. I'm like, what? Let's watch an episode of The Office. That'll make me feel better. I'll be able to laugh. And then you you forget. You forget about that burden. You kind of start to numb yourself from that thing that you saw that made you uncomfortable or that conversation you had that you feel like maybe you should do something about, but really, I'm just going to distract myself from it. Or we come up with a plan. Like, okay, I got some power to do something about this. I, I, I know people. I have time. I can make a spreadsheet. I have a schedule. I have a planner. I'm going to make a plan. And we come up with a plan. Those are the things that we do. We, we do all of those things before we go to God in prayer. But Nehemiah went to God in prayer first. 
Another thing I want to point out to you is that for four months, Nehemiah continued to faithfully take that cup to the king. He had every opportunity to bring him harm. He could have quit, but he didn't. It takes courage to do what is right in front of you when your heart is longing to be somewhere else. It is so hard to do that job that you're supposed to be doing when you really want to be doing that job. And it can be very easy to quit and say, well, God, I'm going to quit because I know that my heart's really somewhere else. And so I'm just going to quit and I'm going to trust that you're going to make a way. But Nehemiah stayed. Nehemiah faithfully did what was right in front of him until God made a way to take him where his heart longed to be. Somebody in here needs to hear that tonight. You are in a situation and it's hard for you to faithfully show up every day in that relationship, in that job, in that place. Keep showing up. Show up faithfully until God makes a way. Let's keep on going with verse one. I had never been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear. See, Nehemiah, he just had a moment where he forgot his face. You ever had a moment where you forget your face? You know what I mean? You think your face looks like this, but your face really looks like this. That's what happened to Nehemiah. Okay, he forgot his face. And it was a big deal for Nehemiah to forget his face because in this time, anyone who is in service to the king, it was against the law to be anything other than happy in the presence of the king because you should be delighted to be in the service of the king. I mean, look how amazing I am and you get to serve me. Why should you be anything but happy? There were even some kings who made their servants wear masks, like happy face masks, so that he would not have to see anything but pleasant faces all day long. It would not just cost you your job, but it would probably cost your life. So that's why he said that he was overwhelmed with fear because his face showed what his heart was feeling. This was not a manipulative move. This was not Nehemiah walking around being like, oh, I just hope somebody notices that I'm sad. I hope the king picks up on the fact that something's wrong. No, because it would have cost his life. It was not manipulative. It was sincere, and the king knew it. Verse 3, and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. That was a quick prayer, y'all. In that moment when the king looked at him and he noticed his face and he said, what's wrong? And he told him, he said a quick prayer, a breath prayer. But that quick breath prayer, that was probably something like, oh God, please help me. Please give me the words. 
that quick breath prayer was supported by four months of prayer and fasting. That moment wasn't the first time that he prayed about this. If he had waited to pray about it for the very first time when he was in the presence of the king, I don't think that he would have had the words. And that's not because God doesn't hear our every prayer. It's that it takes practice in prayer to hear what God is saying to us. We need to live lives of prayer so that when we do get in those moments where we could, where it is a moment of fear, when we call out to God, we know that he answers because we can hear him because we have heard him already. Verse 6, the king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates River so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. Y'all, he just asked the king who's told Jerusalem to stop building the walls to not only let him go do it, but for the king to pay for it. That is the Lord. That is how the Lord responds in prayer. How wise was that and crafty? The king granted my requests, for the gracious hand of my God was on me. How awesome is that? That after all of that, the success was credited to God and not to Nehemiah. He understood because the whole time it had to be up to God. It wasn't his plan. It wasn't the advice that he sought that made it happen. It was the Lord, and he gave credit only to him. Now, I love this story of Nehemiah, and as I read through it and prayed through it, and I learned, oh, I learned so much stuff just about the culture and the context of that time, and I was praying, God, what is it about Nehemiah that, that you want to teach us about courage? What do you want to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? And over and over again, I kept coming back to the same verse. Verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4 says this. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And that's the verse I kept coming back to. And I was okay, well, you want me to be like that? Like, you want me to be, like, crying and mourning and sad? You want me to be like that? And God was like, yeah, I, I do. I want you to be like that. I want your heart to be like that. Because, Jasmine, if you ever want to love more, if you want to do more, and if you ever want to be more like me, then you are going to need to be broken. I've, I've prided myself, honestly, 
and not being easily broken. It's usually hard to make me cry except when sixth and seventh graders pray for me and then I'm just all a mess. I've even prayed in the past for God to not break me. I have prayed, God, I don't want to be broken. I don't, I don't want to feel pain anymore because I have felt it. I felt heartbreak. I felt heartbreak from love. I felt heartbreak from distance, from loss, from disappointment. I have felt brokenness and I'm tired of broken. I don't think that you can do very much with me broken, God. I need to be whole and that's how I'm gonna go. Yes, I know, I know, I know, Lord, I have been broken and I have grown through that. I know that part of the reason I am who I am today, and probably in large part, sure, is because I've been broken and you grew me through that. I know, but I'm tired of growing that way. I want you to grow me somewhere else. I don't, I'm, I don't want to be broken anymore. And he's like, no, Jasmine. Yes, you can still grow. You can grow in knowledge. You can learn all kinds of things. You can grow in in your ability to do things. You can figure out better ways to manage your time. But you are not going to grow to be more like me if your heart does not change. So then I was like, all right, well, that's fine, God, but what does that have to do with courage? I mean, we're in this series called Courageous, Not Brokenness, and so what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to tell these people? Then I remembered. You know how you file things away? I remembered that the root word of courage is core, which is Latin for heart. It's where we get our word coronary. That the root of courage lies in our heart. It's in the ability to cultivate a heart that can birth a burden. Courageous people can cultivate a heart that will birth a burden, that can handle, that can withstand, that is willing to accept and take on a burden. A cultivated heart, not a hard heart. And when I kept thinking about the word cultivate, cultivating a heart, every, every spring I like to plant a garden. Now, I'm not a master gardener by any stretch of the imagination, but I love it. I really enjoy doing it. And for the last two years, I have tried to grow carrots. I just thought it would be really neat to, like, pull up a carrot out of the, the dirt, and I like to eat them. But every year I've done the, you know, I've read the packet and I've poked the holes in the dirt and then put the seeds in and covered it up and watered it. And I go out and check and I go out and check. And then I start to see like little bitty sprouts. I'm like, I'm going to get carrots. And then I go out to the garden and, you know, I keep keep weeding and I keep doing those things. I make sure it's got water. And two years in a row, y'all, two years. I would go out. I mean, it would be weeks and weeks and weeks. I should have a carrot by now. And the little green part's still just like this big. And I thought, maybe, maybe this is some kind of carrot that like the top is really little and the bottom is really big. So I pulled up the carrot and it was this tiny little carrot. I mean, it was like dollhouse size carrot. I'm like, what in the world? Why can't I grow a carrot? Well, y'all know why I can't grow a carrot. What kind of soil do we have here in Central North Carolina? Clay. It is red clay. It is hard. It is compact. And carrots can't grow in hard, compact soil. No matter how much I watered it, 
no matter how much extra stuff I put in around it, it couldn't do it. I had not cultivated that ground long enough and well enough for something to take root and grow. And our courage is like that. Our hearts have to be places that, a, a place that's fertile, a place that it has been cultivated and turned and moved in order for courage to grow in it. I, it reminded me of this passage in Ezekiel. He was a prophet, and he said, the Lord said through him, this is Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That God's desire is not for us to have hard stone hearts, but to have hearts that are tender, to have hearts that are sensitive to the people around us and to his spirit moving hearts that feel things. And I know we get really squirrely when we start talking about feelings and you're like, wait, or, I thought we're not supposed to follow our feelings. Don't we make bad decisions when we follow our feelings? Don't people who follow their feelings make irrational choices? The more I thought about it, no, that's not the problem. People who are emotional don't make irrational decisions. People who are immature make irrational decisions because people who are mature in their faith can do something wise and constructive with their feelings. Mature believers know how to lean into that courage that comes from the heart. Sometimes we reject the burden. Sometimes we fear that opening up again because we think that we're going to break under the weight of it. But I think that our most courageous contributions will be birthed out of our heaviest burdens. And if we cannot carry a burden, if we cannot allow that to grow within us, I don't know that our contributions are going to be all that great. What we can do for the Lord, what we can do for his kingdom, what he can do in us will be very, very small. Then I thought about what Jesus said. He was asked what the greatest commandment was. The commands that the people of Israel were supposed to be following. And he said in Matthew 22, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Only a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft, a heart that has been cultivated and willing to birth a burden can love God and people the way that we are commanded and the way that we need to love. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to ask you a question. What kind of heart are you cultivating? If there was a continuum, like a line drawn between here's a heart of flesh 
and here's a heart of stone. And you had to put your heart somewhere on that line. Would you say that it's closer to a heart of stone or closer to a heart of flesh? And I would say in this instance, our goal is not to be in the middle. I think God wants us to have hearts of flesh, hearts that are a little more compassionate and a little less cynical, a little more personal and a little less clinical. Is your heart a heart that truly loves God and loves people? Is your heart a heart that will respond to suffering suffering close to you and suffering far away. A heart that recognizes injustice and is willing to hold it. Is your heart a heart that recognizes sin, your own sin? Is your heart a heart that's willing to confess that sin and to repent from it? Maybe you're here tonight and your fearful circumstance is the prospect of having to open your heart again when you have gone to great lengths to close it. And faithful obedience is going to require that you love again, that you step out in faith again, that you put yourself out there again, that you try again. Maybe the next time that you feel moved to tears instead of fighting them off, you have the courage to let them fall. Maybe the next time you see someone else's suffering, you have the courage to not look away, but the courage to press in closer. Heavenly Father, help us to have the courage to allow you to break our hearts, to turn them from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.